This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of Knicks Film School Podcast with, uh, of course, no Knicks to talk about. We are going on, uh, geez, we're going on, I guess, about four weeks with no basketball, but it does not stop us here from uh, continuing to put out stuff that um, may or may not be worth your time. I hope it is. Um, And of course, it doesn't stop people that uh, write about this team uh, for a living from uh, coming up with good and interesting stuff for you to read about. And uh, I honestly can't think of anyone who's been doing a better job of that than my guest today, uh, Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic. Mike, how are you, first of all? Uh, I am surviving, which I think is uh, really the only qualification we're going for at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and I don't even mean that gl- <laughs> uh, glibly. Like, uh, you know, no, I, as long as everyone is doing well, that's really all I care about. I, uh, you know, screw it. I, w- I was going to save it, but l- let's let's get right into it. You're so. I feel like there's this uh, like unsaid understanding uh, amongst people in like, I don't know if it's just like the Twitter sphere or in media or whatever, where it's like, hey, if you're a political writer, stick to politics. If you're someone that writes about sports, stick to sports. And you, I thank God, whoever, you know, there is up above that you are not doing that. Um, And as you just said, there are. There are things that are important right now and there are things that are not. And the thing that I, I guess I want to start with with you is like you've been really out front on on Twitter um, putting forth just I mean, I, I want to say good content, but I'm sure there's people listening to this that would be like in disagreement with that that statement. So like let me let's start with this. Right, how does it? Do you ever have any like second thoughts about like putting, you know, opinions that have nothing to do with sports out into the world or like where's your mindset at right now? Um, you know, I, I do. I I um you know, I, I kind of not that I had any like formal journalism training. I didn't like go to journalism school. I don't have a journalism degree, uh, which I guess makes me a fraud really. So I, I guess that's <laughs> the big uh, takeaway from this podcast. If you're a fraud, uh, what the hell am I? <laughs> Feel free to tweet at me, call me a fraud on Twitter. Um, I, I, I've always, I, I do believe that there's some level of objectivity that should be um, kept by reporters. Now, maybe it's not like objectivity. Anyway, this is going to get into a whole like ethics of journalism conversation. No, but I, I, I really I mean, don't know if I'm, I'm interested in having right now. We, we don't need to go too like, deep into it, but just like, you know. Yeah. So I, you know, I felt the last few years that 
we are living in um, global and political times that it makes it really hard to ignore the big issues uh, that are going on right now. Now, I think a fair criticism would have been, okay, but even before then, there are all these issues going on. And so maybe that's a sign of your privilege that you were able to not speak out about them before that. And uh, I get that argument too. Um, but the last few years, I've really gotten more um, politically, uh, I don't know, uh, talk more about politics on Twitter. And luckily, my employers don't have a problem with that as of now. Um, and I hope that remains the case. And, uh, you know, they've, they've allowed us to be pretty uh, conversational and, and pretty loud about what we think on Twitter. And that's that's been great. Uh, and especially now, it's not even about trying to put forth my po- political beliefs or anything like that. It's like this is a very scary time for everyone in the world. Um, and if you can pass along information that maybe helps someone, that gives someone context uh, to what's going on, I think that's valuable. I, you know, I, even if I only cover the Knicks on Twitter, I still try to provide uh, valuable resources if I can, even if it's just retweeting stories or information about what's going on so people have um, good data themselves so they can make the best decisions that they can. I think some people who follow me on Twitter might want me to shut up sometimes and just tweet about the Knicks or even just tweet fewer news stories. And I get that. but. Um, that's never been my bag on on there, and I feel like now is the worst time to not be a um, you know, uh, to not be cognizant of what's going on out in the world, and and try to only stay in your lane per se. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I agree. As I I don't know if you notice, I often retweet some of the a lot of the stuff that you tweet because I I feel the same way. Um, I I can't say I've gotten a lot of pushback on it. Um. You know, it's and I don't want to we don't have to stay on this for too long, but it's just it's interesting to me because I feel like, you know, even in sports, um, people are very much they have their their beliefs. And my personal like happiest moments are when I'll write something and I'll I'll get a response where somebody will be like, hey, you know what? I'm not a you know, whatever. I'm not a Frank Nilakina fan, but I I never thought of it in that way. And you you kind of at least made me want to like give myself a chance to think differently about it, you know, even something like that. And I, you know, I wonder sometimes with, you know, and I don't want to use the word politics, but just, I guess I'll say like real life. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll say politics. I, I even wonder if that's possible or, or if just like, you know, if me or you will, will put something out into the universe, it, even though for, for, for us, it's, it's evidence-based. Um, I, 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 do you ever ask yourself, like, does that does that even matter when you're talking about certain things and dealing with certain opinions people have? Do you, do you catch my drift here? Yeah, and I do. I mean, I, I try to think about it. And, um, you know, I try not to go like too far uh, to one polar opinion over another. And even now, like, you know, every everything is kind of politics at the moment. That's just kind of where we're at in the U.S. right now. Uh, sports is politics. Culture is politics. Um, news and facts are apparently politics. That is what it is. Exactly. Um, but you know, in in my worldview, like some news are, are actually, uh, you know, unmalleable and you do have to share. And if people think that's you being political, so be it. And other times I am being political. And again, if you don't like it, so be it, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, that, that's just kind of the way I've, I've chosen to go about it right now. And, Oh, maybe things will change. Uh, I have no idea how we're all how long we're all going to be in this situation. Um, and uh, I'm sure my views will continue to change the longer that we are being quarantined. 
Um, and maybe my views on how to use Twitter will change because at some point, you know, I think Twitter can be, uh, I've tried to stay off of Twitter more so, um, during this whole thing, if I can, mm-hmm. especially on the weekends, I, I think Twitter is not necessarily a net positive at all times. I, I'm um, with you. And so maybe my use, maybe my use will change. Maybe what I tweet about and what I retweet will change. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just trying to live in the moment for the time being. Well, you talk about the time being and like not knowing how long this is going to last. That's personally, that's been the toughest part for me in terms of, um, you know, continuing to put out content. So I'll, as I'll start to transition here, um, as a sports writer who has no sports to write about, uh, right now, what other than like the obvious that obviously you, there are no games being played, what, what's been the most challenging part for you in your, in your position at the athletic? Uh, just trying to find interesting things to write about, to, um, to, I don't know, people to talk to. I honestly, I like at first I was a little confused about what I should do because you still want to put out things for people to read. I think the one thing that I've noticed at The Athletic um, is just people being happy that there's something to read about that's not coronavirus related. Um, And I find myself doing that, too. Like at some point I'm trying to read as much as I can, obviously. But like at some point I'm like, okay, I just I need to check out for just a minute and (laughs) I'll go like wander our NFL coverage and the, I don't know why, but for me, like NFL coverage right now is just the popcorn, like the empty calories that I need. Maybe it's just something about that sport and how it operates. Um, that's just like the empty calories I need to get through the day. Um, <clears throat> but I, I feel like a lot of people still care about basketball. They still care about the Knicks and they're looking for things that are kind of what are a lot more lighter at the moment to just, you know, take a break every once in a while to get them through the day to peruse at the end of, a, you know, at the end of the night, just so they can you know, relax a little bit. And I'm trying to provide that and trying to, I don't know, I spend my days trying to think, okay, what can I do? What story should I write? Who can I call uh, to try to put something that's not like boring or lazy out there? Yeah, no, I'm, it's funny. I'm, I'm like you, like I haven't, um, I, I haven't listened to any like basketball podcasts. I haven't, uh, other than stuff, some, a little bit of Nick stuff. I haven't been reading a ton about basketball. My my popcorn is um, unfortunately movies stuff, and there's no, there's no new movies being <laughs> released in theaters right now, so that makes it kind of tough. Uh, but you know, I, I take what I can get. Yeah, no, but everybody has their their thing, and um, so let's talk about some of the stuff you've been putting out because it's it's been really good. Um, my first question is: Are you surprised that where I think the voting is still open? I don't know if it will be by the time this podcast gets released. But the how many hours do we have left on Mellow versus Ewing one on one? Is it done or are we are we over? When we're doing this right now, I think there's like about 24, 22 hours, something like that. Oh, okay. So if this is out by tomorrow morning, which it will be, then uh, if you're listening, go go vote. Are you surprised at where this is? The last I checked, Mellow was in a I don't want to say commanding lead, but he had a he had a little yeah. He's up. He's up fifty six forty four right now, basically. Uh, I. I, I am a little bit surprised. It was pretty close to start with. I don't know. There, I've been surprised by how easy it's been for Carmelo along the way. Now that we're getting to this, you know, hypothetical one-on-one Knicks tournament, um, I, I thought that maybe like Sprewell had a chance. I thought maybe there's a run for someone else to the finals. Um, it's gone kind of chalk, but I, it's kind of hard to make an argument against Carmelo Anthony as the best one-on-one Knicks player of the last thirty years. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll hear that. I'll hear anybody who says that that's the argument. I guess, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm 30, I'm going to be 37 next month. So obviously I was here for a lot of viewing, but like it, it actually made me, it, it gave some added context to like, um, a lot of the Twitter discussions that go on about Mellow. And I don't, I think maybe for some reason I, I never fully accepted 
how high he was on in people's um uh esteem you know uh that they have for him and this is like i don't know i gotta say i was a little bit taken aback by this i'll be i'll be curious if maybe ewing can make a late push but the the data would would seem to indicate (laughs) otherwise um basketball related question i know um ian has commented on this uh, berman has commented on this do you do you see mellow in a, a nick uniform next season Oh, what do those guys say? Can I just copy their answers? Sure, absolutely. I, Ber- well, Berman went on, on this pod like right before basketball stopped being played, and he said, uh, I asked him to make a bold prediction, and he said that he thought there was no doubt that uh, Mello would be here. And I think Ian in a, uh, it, on Twitter said like 8 or an 8.5 out of 10 chance. <laughs> I Here's my thinking, and like th- this is more what I'm curious your opinion on. I, I think... T- selling tickets is going to be a large concern for Dolan next year and bringing on Mello for some kind of like retirement tour. That seems to be like a cheap and easy way to, to get fannies in the seats, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking. I think the big question um, for basketball whenever we do have it again is how much the business aspect is going to drive everything now, even for maybe the richest organizations, right? Because we could always look at like the Knicks and the Lakers and, and the Clippers. Maybe the Clippers are completely different. Just Steve Ballmer's so loaded. Um, it's just like, okay, let's not look at the basketball, basketball uh, the business aspect of things and just consider their moves in a basketball um Prism. I wonder if that changes for teams now. Like, I don't know. Maybe this is when we learn how liquid all these NBA owners are or how much they rely on the windfalls they get from uh, the profits they're they're hoping to generate from the NBA teams. Like a lot of these a lot of these guys, owners are going to go without revenue uh, for a long time because of this. Not that necessarily we should feel bad for them because they're still in a much better state than everyone else. But like, I wonder if that impacts what they do with team building and whether they want to fire coaches and spend resources on one thing or another. And I, I think that's kind of an underrated uh, aspect to, to when we consider what's going to happen for the 20, uh, 19, 20, 21, 19, geez. Yeah. 20, 20, <laughs> 21 season. Um, when Which might not start till 2021, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just saying like, I don't know. I could see the Knicks putting Carmelo in cause they think it'll sell them seats and jerseys and help the ratings on msg network it's not crazy it's not inconceivable like especially and this is the one thing that we don't know right now we don't know how good the knicks want to be next season right we don't know what their organizational plan is uh how they want to spend next season in terms of developing for the future yeah and that's something i i've been thinking about a lot so i'm curious where you fall on this you know because you had uh a lamar peter's piece that you put out um, recently, which was excellent and uh, had some good film in there. And I was reading it and the whole time I was thinking, I'm like, my God, like there's zero reason why this guy shouldn't have been brought up. Um, You know, you could even argue he should have been brought up at the same time of the season that uh, Trey Burke was brought up a couple of years back, which I think was like mid-January. He, you know, it's it's not like the Knicks were doing anything, you know, record wise. Um, And then it makes me think, well, why wasn't he? And, you know, there's been this whole discussion of like um, who to put the blame on Mills versus Perry. And like, it's pretty clear now that decisions were made last summer to save jobs in the case of Mills obviously didn't work. Um, Perry, Perry seems to get a, a get out of jail free card here from a lot of people. And I'm like, I look at things like, you know, Mills was fired and, and they still, you know, Perry was there for a while afterwards. You know, 
I, I, I'm to the way this all ties together for me is like, can we, can we really free Perry of blame? You know, when clearly even after Mills was gone, I think there was still a large part of Scott's MO that was like, I need to make myself look good to my owner. Like, do you have an opinion on all that? Yeah. I mean, I think those two guys worked in conjunction with each other um, when they're trying to figure out what to do with the roster. And I think a large part of what they were hoping to do was show growth um, this season, this past season, whatever, whatever tense we want to use for the 2019, 20 season. Um, and they want to show it with the amount of wins. And I'm sure like a part of them was trying to say, Hey, if we get to 30 wins, this is growth. This is what we laid out before this season. That was probably around where they kind of eyed this, this team finishing. Um, I think the other part of like not bringing along a a Lamar Peters is that they just said they didn't have the roster spots for it. You know, like they signed all these guys to one year contracts. But whose fault is that? Because no, no, I understand. I understand. But what I'm saying is like when you do that with guys like Wayne Ellington and Taj Gibson and um, Alfred Payton, you're almost entering into good faith promises that you won't screw them going into what is likely to be another free agency for them because they're all one year contracts. Right. Sure. So you can't just simply bench them. Uh, for Lamar Peters, like you did the previous year when the whole roster was like young guys and cast offs that they were trying to recycle and rejuvenate, then it's a lot easier to do that. Um, but when you have these guys and you're trying to show that the Knicks are this organization that values veterans and all that, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And then, you know, and that just makes me wonder about like we, you know, I, I don't know if you were there when Bobby Portis gave the, uh, the line about what the hell did he say about it? Um, I'm 24 years old. I don't. I'm, oh know, yeah, yeah. The buyout he line. I'm 24. He's not thinking about money and and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you know, and and I even think a step further because like currently the Knicks are operating as an an over the cap team, um, and because of the way the salary matching rules work, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot as I'm trying to figure out what moves they can make during the offseason. Like if they got themselves under the cap, um, you know, by, you know, let's say uh, trading away, you know, Portis or something or, or cutting Portis such that his, his salary wouldn't be, you know, on the books. I just like, it didn't seem like there was any forward looking, you know, part of the organization, even after Mills left. And I just it, it like, you know, why why was Bobby Porter still getting minutes? Why why couldn't you let him go and seek out a place with another team? Like I I don't know. I and I don't feel like do you feel like we ever got answers to any of those questions? Like what was the point over the last like two months once it was clear that this thing wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work? I mean, they, as you pointed out, they never talked to us, so maybe there was or, or to you guys. Maybe there was no opportunity to ask. Well, look, I, I think for the majority of the season, they were trying to maximize their season, their win totals, and play as well as they could. Mike Miller is in a position where he's the interim coach. I, I bet he didn't feel like he was um, empowered enough to make huge rotation uh, changes, right? That has to come from a conversation with the front office, and you have to you know, decide, okay, this is the path we're going. And then at some point by February, by the trade deadline, like there was kind of a vacuum, right? There's a power vacuum. Um, Scott Perry was a nominal head of basketball operations, but we knew Leon Rose was coming, but Leon Rose wasn't in the organization yet. Um, and Leon Rose wanted to take the last month and a half when he did get hired to kind of audit everything. And in that case, that seems like it's more of a status quo type of situation. And so where's that decision coming from, right? Who is the person who makes that decision then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we were, <laughs> we were unless really Jim Dolan it. all of a sudden decides, Hey, you know, I want to see Lamar Peters and I want to see Kevin Knox play 
you know, 35 minutes a night or whatever it is, like there's just no one who truly has the power to make that call. I'm almost wondering like when, because like you, you just pointed out the obvious, like it's firing your head basketball executives. What was it? 48 hours before the trade deadline, 72, whatever the hell it was. Um, like that's, that's not smart, but neither would letting, I, in, in my own opinion, letting Scott or Steve Mills operate through the trade deadline. Um, so like what, you know, what, I'm trying to think if we could go back in time, you know, putting aside like James Dolan selling the team, like where, where would the operative moment have been to make a change? <laughs> like, would it have been like, 8 p.m. on June 30th, like, hey, you didn't get the guys you told me you were going to get. You guys are both out. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I mean, look, I, I think if you're under the impression that uh, the Marcus Morris trade wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Steve Mills getting fired, which I, I'm not. Are sure you? I, ne- so I don't. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I, I think maybe they had a change of heart, but it also could have been posturing. Sure. Up until um, the last few days to see what they could get in terms of maximum leverage and return. Um. Then you you fire Steve Mills when you did because it gets that deal done and then really that's the only big thing that they did ahead of the trade deadline and the only like tangible future looking assets that they got. Um, but if that deal was always going to get done, then you know you could have just waited. I mean, really, but like it's just it's a it's a no win situation because in either case you're letting people make decisions that you are no longer. And this is me speaking as like someone. If you're working in the Knicks organization or if you're James Dolan, you're making letting people make decisions that you are no longer comfortable with make those decisions. So how long do you want them to continue making those decisions, right? Yeah. And that's uh, which is, I think, the the issue that a lot of Knicks fans have, which is like, I don't know. I It's almost, you know, it sounds crazy to say, or maybe it doesn't sound crazy to say, like the night that, you know, Mills and, and Perry tried it out there to give that that ridiculous press conference. Um can you, I, I would, I can, we can't even call it a press conference. What would you define that as? That was like, there has to be a better term, a more accurate term. Uh, I don't know. A, a mercy media availability. Like but that's, that's just, that, yeah. You know, that, that's kind of what it felt like was them just being thrown out there and forced to talk to the media as, as punishment. Um, I think media, I think media availability sometimes feel like punishment around the Knicks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, that's all it was. But yeah, I mean, there's there's really almost kind of just no return from that night. I think it was November 10th. Like that was something that literally had other people in the NBA laughing because they understood how wild and how unnormal it was. Um, and uh, I think that kind of took off the facade that this could be a normal next season. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I feel like it was just kind of maybe the other shoe that dropped after what happened, um, you know, on what, what they ended up pivoting to on June 30th and, and July 1st. And, you know, look, I, I'll, I've admitted it many times. I tried mightily to defend their offseason moves because I was like, this this can't just be something that was thrown together because plan A didn't work out. Like there had to be diligent research and like behind the scenes discussions about, OK, well, what kind of a leader would Julius Randle be? And like is Bobby Portis, you know capable of adjusting his game to be, you know, not so focused on, you know, getting up a, a shot every 45 seconds. It, it's become my opinion that this was literally like, it, it's whatever time, five o'clock, four thirty, the, the KD news comes and it's, they're like, Oh shit. Um, 
find the guy with the best stats that we could get to sign for the least number of guaranteed years. Do you, do you, I'm, maybe that's pushing, but like what, like p- put yourself behind the scenes. What do you think? What do you think happened? Like, what do you think was the, was the real unfolding of this? I, I think, you know, they were in LA the night uh, that free agency began. So by then they kind of understood where things were headed. Right. Um, I have been trying to figure out what the timeline for all this is. And I think like when I tried to tweet about her, like people were kind of gotten annoyed by that. But I think to a certain degree, like <laughs> talking to people, I, it does seem like somewhere around midwinter, people knew already where Kyrie Irving was headed. Um, and if people knew where Kyrie Irving was headed, they probably had a good idea where Kevin Durant was headed. Um, and I think that, that, uh, you know, maybe the Knicks didn't have the same intel or if they did, maybe they m- misunderstood what their odds were of landing them. Like I, I was talking to and I wrote this in one of my stories, but I was talking to one NBA agent and as late as um, I think after the combine in May, like they were talking to a Knicks executive who was still talking as if uh, the Knicks were going to get Kevin Durant. Right. I, and I it, remember you wrote that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, is that just faulty intel? Is that overconfidence? Like. Is that them just saying something? That's a conversation that was had. And and so um, maybe they just didn't have the good intel going into free agency until the last moment. And then they tried to pivot and the decisions that they made to pivot weren't the ones that were good for them. You know, I, I still think and I wrote at the time, like they should have tried to use their cap space to just take on assets and take on other people's problematic contracts and use this season the way that they uh, that they didn't do. And instead, they went to sign seven guys all at once, which is. Uh, you know, has not aged well. Let's say, <laughs> I um, think that's fair to say. <laughs> and so, I, I think I think it was probably around late June when they realized, okay, this is not going to go the way we we want it to. And so they just chose to go a different way. And the collection of players that they focused on just didn't get them in a good place. Um, you mentioned before, uh, which I I find amusing, but also unsurprising that people were around the league were literally laughing uh, that night. <sighs> I'm I'm always wondering what the perception of the Knicks is around the league, and and you have a, a pretty good sense of that. I, where do you think the perception is right now? With so Leon Rose is here, um, Scott Perry is also still here, Alan Houston is here, um, seemingly with a promotion. I my my own two cents is I I, I struggle to imagine a, a good up and coming basketball exec coming into a situation where they're going to be told, okay, you're going to work for Leon Rose. That's whatever. That's fine. But you're also going to have to work with, um, Alan Houston. And I don't know, maybe some other people that, that are going to have to stay on. Maybe Scott Perry, maybe not Scott Perry. Like one, I guess, do you have the same impression that, that I do? And, and two, how do you think my original question, how do you think people feel about the Knicks situation right now? I think the executive positions at the Knicks have always been more um, like people have looked at those more positively than, than say like being the coach of the Knicks. The coach of the Knicks just seems like a bear trap. Um, you know, like you you look at how quickly that position turns over. It's not good. You wrote it. Uh, you wrote it before the season. You said no coach since uh, what was it? Uh, D'Antoni had lasted more than two seasons since Van Gundy, right? Um, yeah. If you started out your first season with a losing record. Uh, no, no coach has made it to more than two years in. Um, and you know, Dave Fisdale proved to be the rule, not the exception. Yeah. Um, 
So again, I, I think honestly, like it's not even about the, I, at least the people I talk to, I don't make, I'm not stating this is a universal claim. I think that's hard to do when there are 30 teams and God knows how many executives working for each team and all the players and whatever. Uh, the people that I talk to, it's just more like, it's the Knicks will continue to Knicks. And part of that is because uh, the owner has re- remained in place. And I think there's doubt that, you know, maybe even Leon Rose gets to do what he wants to do. And, and we don't know. Um, what Leon Rose has talked to James Dolan about, right? Like he hasn't spoken yet. I think everyone seems to like Leon, thinks uh, he's smart and he's competent and he's capable and they all think he'll do a good job. But part of that is just how much leeway and patience will he get from above him? Um, You know, the executives haven't really had a a long tenure with the Knicks either. Phil Jackson lasted three seasons. Steve Mills and Scott Perry got two and a half together. Um, Glenn Grunwald got fired unceremoniously. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can go Donnie, through all that. Donnie Walsh, Donnie Walsh had two and two and a half, three, maybe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he got undercut along the way in the Carmelo Anthony yes. trade. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's this long track record that patience is not, uh, you know, fine. It is a finite thing with the Knicks. And so, you know, that that's kind of what it goes down to. You know, I think people still want to, I, there's people who want to come to New York who think they can make it work, who see New York, who see um, the platform that it gives you, who see the, the Knicks job being something that they find interesting and they find uh, to be shiny and they want to take it. But it, it's, you know, you have to create a stable working environment and they haven't been able to show that yet. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I don't know who they'll hire. I think the GM hires me big because it kind of shows which way they want to take the organization. So if Leon Rose is able to pitch them well and say, this is how we want to do things and I've got the okay from the owner to invest in it and he says, it'll give me time and uh, all that type of stuff, maybe they can lure someone good. You know, I don't know why someone would take like a, like a Bobby Webster who's already a number two and just kind of make a lateral move. Yeah. Right. Um, but if they can get a, an assistant GM, a, a guy who's a number three maybe, or a guy who's making significantly less wherever he is and come to be the number two. Um, that I think would be a good hire for them and someone that they probably can get. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, I just, I, I don't want to be reading the words, uh, Nick's general manager, Alan Houston next at any <laughs> point. I, look, nothing against Alan Houston. He's a, a really, really nice guy. I've, I've met him a few times. I'm sure you've met him a ton of times. Um, I just, that would, that would seem to be a bit much, don't you think at this stage in his career? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that Alan Houston has had the career to become a, a general manager um, at the, <laughs> with the Knicks or with any yeah. with anything. But like that's kind of been the question about the Knicks and their GM choices, right? Is Leon Rose, very good agent, not doubting his credentials at all in that way, but he has no executive experience, right? Yeah. And so I, I don't know if he'll do a good job. I don't know if he'll do a bad job. I just don't know. There's no track record. Phil Jackson, Hall of Fame coach, no executive experience. Steve Mills. Um, you know, his perception around the league from the people that I talked to was that he's more of a business guy than a basketball guy. And that's what he had done at MSG for so long, right? Like he was a GM for, um, like eight, eight months, six months, whatever he was when he brought back in 2013 and before Phil Jackson, uh, was hired. And then he kind of transitioned to the basketball side of things. And, And so when was the last time the Knicks really went out, uh, and hired like one of the top executives around the NBA and you'd say it was probably Donnie Walsh. I, I would say it's Donnie Walsh and, and which I think is his tenure I think is looked upon favorably by by most people um, because like they you said they made the playoffs. Yeah, they, they made the playoffs and then when push came to shove um, Dolan got involved and, and we know what happened from there. Do you have a read on the league wide uh, again you 
you don't know what every executive thinks, but is there a cons- anything close to a consensus on Elton Brand? I mean, it, it seems like maybe that that's not going to happen. Um, you know, especially that maybe teams are going to value stability more with everything that's going on, and and he is under contract and whatever. Um, but I, I found that him being the first name to leak, maybe not, well, not the first name to leak, but it's the biggest name to leak. Um, was interesting, and I was like, eh, I don't know how do I how I feel about this. I didn't I didn't necessarily hate it, but I obviously I didn't love it either. Is, how is he viewed around the league? Uh, you know, I don't know if I can answer that uh, capably. I think that's more like to someone like your own Weitzman, who literally wrote the book on the seventy sixers. Okay. Good call. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he's plugged it. Uh, I. I I don't know how how that I got that out there. It's I don't know necessarily. I don't think necessarily that it's like the Knicks leaking this. I think just conversations from around the league um, got out there, and that you know people talk, and and then there are ways to get that information flows out because of that. Um, I I don't know what it means that he was the first name. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily like look into order of operations with that. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just I. A lot of a lot, let's just say a lot of Nick fans were not were not happy that I was uh, non-committal on on my opinion. Um, well, what I would say though is is this. Um, yeah. At least what to me, it's like it's not necessarily the all the things that come out through the media doesn't mean that those are the only things that are coming out uh, or that are being considered. Gotcha. I would look at it that way. I, don't don't look at like an absence of evidence does is not mean that there's an evidence <laughs> of absence. Uh, I would I would assume that Leon and again I look I don't profess to know him very well, but I've been told he's a very diligent person who thinks ahead. That he's probably was considering more than one possible guy as a GM candidate. Um, well, let's kind of start to finish up with this. You just wrote um, a really detailed piece with uh, John Hollinger. Uh, also of the athletic in which um, I, I thought everything he said was very accurate. I thought everything you said was, was very accurate. I, I know John um, gets shit from Knicks fans sometimes for, for needling them. Um, but you know, I mean, he's, he's not wrong about anything he said in the piece, which I would strongly encourage anybody who's listening to this. If you haven't uh, read it, go ahead and do that. Um, he, he kind of basically, you know, in no uncertain terms is like, look, they're rebuilding. They need to act like a team that's rebuilding. Um, but, and I know we've talked about this um, between us, that that doesn't necessarily mean you just put, you know, a bunch of kids out there. He he talks about potentially going out and getting someone like Fred Van Fleet, um, depending on how much that, that might cost. Um, after putting out that piece, where, like, what would your ideal Knicks offseason look like? What are the what are some of the things that you might try to do? Uh, you know, I don't think they need to go super young. They've kind of reached this this point now where they have so many young players that they can't just continue to add them uh, forever, right? Like then you get in a weird place where it's just all young guys and and if they're all not in their prime yet, then you just can continue the cycle forever. Um, I think they need to add some veterans. They just have to be picky about it. Obviously, that's easier said than done. But yeah, like a Van Vliet would be great if you don't pay too much for him. I think um, Danilo Gallinari, if you give him like a, a sh- really short-term contract, so you're not paying for a while because he's the type of player that'll make other guys better because of his spacing and his shooting. Yep. Um, and as a veteran, I think John you know, said maybe give him like a big one-year contract and I could see something like that. It's just, you can't, it, you can't put like five guys on one-year deals and bring them in all at once, right? Which is, I think, 
part of the problem of last offseason. And you can't go super young. And so you almost have to walk this line of continued to be forward thinking uh, and consider what you'll look like in 21, 22. Uh, and then still try to get better in the short term. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think like topping out for the best uh, for the best lottery pick is something that they need to do, uh, because part of that is just you don't need to have the worst record anymore to get the number one pick. Um, so so guys like that, it's just trying to be smart. Uh, I'd have to do like a better job of looking at all the free agents available. Well, uh, there's not that but, many of them. That's the that's well, the, that's the thing, and yeah. that's why you know I, I floated it to John too, and I've been saying this is like maybe it's it's okay to consider trading away your lottery pick. Um, depending on who you can get back. I'm not saying get like a 31-year-old guy who's got one year left on his deal, but if you can get someone who's in their mid-20s, you know, for a team that's changing their paths and wants to maybe go a little bit slower or really like someone in the draft, I think that would be good for the Knicks. Um, I don't know who's going to be available. And I think that's so much of the like uncertainty is, I don't know what this is all going to do to free agency, to teams, um, and what they want to do. Like who's going to want to continue, say, paying luxury tax next season, right? Yeah. Um, if their cash flow took a really big hit this year because of the stoppage. Um, and we don't know that yet. And uh, we don't know where the salary cap is going to be. And so I think, you know, the Knicks should continue, like, I think they'd be better off using the 2021 season um, to continue building for the future. And if they want, then try to make a splash if they can uh, in the summer of 21. Um, but they don't need to go all out like they did in 2019 and then not have a fallback plan, right? Or at least a fallback plan that'll work for them. Yeah, um, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm, you know, you think about the idea of like going out and and getting like young-ish guys like a Van Fleet. You know, Christian Wood has also been mentioned. Um, getting a guy like Gallo, who's older, but as you correctly point out, is you know he makes other people's lives easier. Um, you know, or like kind of tanking and just playing the kids that are here. I'm trying to think what the Knicks could do that would really, you know, garner the same reaction that last summer garnered like Chris Paul is the obvious one, right? Like trading like assets for Chris Paul, but I'm trying to like, I feel like they could go in a number of different directions and um, at least there's like an argument for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if they try to like give Fred Van Vliet $25 million a year, I don't think that'll be received well. Uh, Probably not. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) but uh, I'm I'm trying to think what the analog might be. Um, but like, I think like maybe given like Danilo Gallinari, if you give him like a one plus one, um, you know, give for twenty five, thirty million dollars a year, it'll be interesting, right? So I would assume that most of the guys who have player options for next year pick up their player options, right? Unless they're just criminally underpaid because yeah. they can take the certainty of one big payment and then head into free agency in twenty twenty one when things are a little bit more certain and smoother, and you're not coming off whatever this season ends up being. Um, but for like a Gallo who's going to be a free agent anyway, um, maybe they'll be willing to take a big one year deal. Right. And so they can also hit free agency in 2021. Um, if you're the Knicks, I don't know, maybe it is worth giving them a big, big one year offer to see if you can attract them over. Or maybe if you can do that with Fred Van Vliet, um, if he wants, you know, kind of a team to run on his own or, or someone to that, like, like they have to think strategically and think through all these things. And I don't know what, like the, uh, the 2020, Offseason equivalent is of signing four power forwards and blocking Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox is. Um, I yeah, that's the thing is I don't but don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. That's Leon Rose's job number one. Don't do that. Um, last thing before I get you out of here because I know you've um, you've written about R.J. Barrett a lot this year and you've you've um, spent a lot of time kind of observing and thinking about his game. Um, 
this is maybe a little little nitty gritty, but I was curious your thought on it because John Hollinger in the piece said the the primary question with Barrett, according to him, is whether he's uh, good enough offensively to be a primary initiator. Um, And that would, you know, the answer to that question partially depends on how his shooting develops. I, I read that and I actually had a different thought because to me, I think we've seen enough to know that if Barrett's your primary initiator, you're, you're probably not going to be a very good team because he just, he's not that kind of athlete. We haven't seen the shot creation. Um, and I'm, I'm more already starting to think of him as like the secondary guy. And for me, that's the reason why his shooting is so important because if he needs to, you know, work more off ball, um, obviously if he, if he's more of an off ball player and he can't shoot, well, that's not a very good combination. Um, where, where do you come down on Barrett at this point? You've, you know, we got to watch him for whatever it was, 50 something games. Um, are you, do you find yourself higher on him than before he came, you know, to the Knicks, lower on him about where you were before the season started? Uh, so I'm the same on him in one big way, which is his jump shot is going to determine how good he is. Um, I, I thought that coming into the draft, I, I think that now, um, to me, like shooting is the most important trait for an NBA player nowadays. Um, if he learns how to shoot, like it's going to open everything up, both as a playmaker, as a scorer and, and all that. I was kind of, I was impressed by his defense. I thought he was, you know, pugnacious at times, like he had higher effort than I expected for a rookie. Uh, he had some savvy. I don't know what he's going to be like as a playmaker and, and primary ball handler is he's not a guy who like blows by his defenders and like really breaks down the defense and causes guys to shift and opens up shooters because of that. Um, so maybe that might be a limitation to why you can't just run like, you know, 50 pick and rolls with him per night. Um, it, it, it's going to be interesting. Like he's definitely going to need another guy alongside with him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know if necessarily just as a guy who catches and shoots, but it, it at least looks like someone who can handle a good portion of the pick and roll actions, a guy who can do, um, at least an equal amount of driving the offense from night to night. I would say it's just too hard to tell until his shooting, like until we go three years into his career and we see where his shooting is. I think the other parts of his game are good and I think he's a hard worker and I think he's smart. And so those are all like positive traits. Um, but to me, there's just a ceiling on someone if you can't hit like 35% of your threes in the NBA anymore. Um, you know, like teams, teams will stop respecting you. They'll start going under under pick and rolls against you all the time. And we saw that a little bit this year. And then that means you're just going to be inconsistent depending on how your shot is that night. Right. And we saw that with RJ Barrett too, right? He'd have hot stretches. I think he had like that five or 10 game stretch at the start of the season where he's hitting all his threes. Then he did that later in the season too. And um, that was the determining factor for how he did. And I think that's not a coincidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's no toys about it. He needs to, uh, he needs to get better as a shooter, but the the good news is if he does, like for some guys, like you know Kevin Knox, for instance, so much of their game needs to progress. Um, with Barrett, I feel like there is a feeling like if that shot comes, like it's you know you said it might take a year, it might take two years, whatever. But if it comes, I feel like that there's like a um, a good feeling about you know whatever he's going to be primary, secondary, whatever the case may be. But it, it's going to be good. Um, I think he showed a, a floor at least yes, um, this yeah, season, uh, which is important too. Um, you know, that like you can count on him to get to the rim uh, and that's why his free throw shooting is so important. It's because he is so good at getting to the rim, right? Like you want him if he's fouled and when he is fouled to get those easy points. And the same thing at finishing around the rim is he's not a great athlete, so he can't just dunk over guys. Um, 
So that's why his, his offensive rebounding, uh, weirdly enough, is actually kind of important because he's able to rebound his misses frequently enough and yeah. he needs to finish around the rim. But he's shown he can do things and he's shown what his floor is as an NBA player. And that'll obviously continue to get higher. Um, but it, it's just that shooting, you know, and we'll see if he can get to be like a 36 percent three point shooter, which is right about the NBA average. Like, I think that's a very good player who maybe can become an all star um, if he's going to be a 33 percent three point shooter. I, I think can be hard to focus a defense uh focus an offense around them yeah i i wrote a few weeks ago that like or maybe it was last week i don't know it's all running together but like if you gave me um like michael finley's career for rj like i'd be okay with that like you know, <laughs> michael finley's pretty good he was damn good he's two-time all-star he you know got mvp votes in several seasons um yeah I, and I think it was uh i think it was our seth partner who also said you know it's not just like about um you know what you're shooting either it's it's also about how much defenses respect you and yes. are willing to give you that gravity 100 um so that's another reason why right like you know even if he is a secondary guy like if teams are respecting his three-point shooting and his shot that'll make things easier for everyone else too right because they're not they're they're not just going to sag off of him that's one less guy in the paint or one less guy ready to help um and so that, that that's where all this comes in and i think it would help the knicks if whoever they take this um this offseason i keep wanting to say summer then i have to stop myself <laughs> yeah it's um it's, maybe it'll be summer i don't know maybe it'll be fall maybe it'll be winter i have no idea when the draft is going to be um i i think that whoever they get this offseason they need shooters uh to help rj and uh just to get some shooting on that team period i was wondering do you have anyone yet uh that you think the knicks uh do you have like a favorite in the draft that you hope they get um i've i've actually because i i don't have the time much like you during the season to sit there and watch like all kinds of college games, but I have tried to do my homework um, in, in this, during this downtime. Um, I think I agree with, I think it was um, uh, Sam Vecini uh, also of the athletic who, who said he tweeted out, I think it was a week or two ago with like uh, in regards to LaMelo ball, like maybe we're all just overthinking this a little bit. And if you could get a kid that has, like one really, really, really special skill in a draft where nobody has that other than him. Like maybe just take him and figure out the rest later. And I think that's kind of where I've arrived at. Um, that said, if they don't end up with ball, I'm, I'm not going to be heartbroken. I think like the other point guards that are high um, or that are slated to go high are all, you know, they all have redeeming qualities. I like the kid, Denny, uh, um, I, I definitely agree with, um, I think uh, Berman interviewed, Fran Fischel the other day and he was like just take the best player available um like unless it's Wiseman who I just wouldn't make any sense to me um I, I'm, I'd be all for that why do you do you have a guy that you're kind of uh you, you know either rooting for them to take or like kind of think it makes the best basketball sense no I was just curious I'm just diving into all these guys now and like um probably gonna be writing about Killian Hayes so I've been watching some tape of him and Nick fans love him he, he I, he's a favorite yeah I I kind of like him um I like his game, his shooting. Like he's, uh, he seems like he's a wily player, and he's, I think he's 18 still. Young, very. I kind of like him because he's a lefty, and so I think if the Knicks draft him, that's one step closer to an all lefty lineup <laughs> at some point. So like Iggy, Killian Hayes, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle. Um, no, you just need one more lefty you were, out there. You were fine with the first three. Just there has to be other lefties in the league that other than Julius Randle. Has CA come at you yet um, for your anti-Julius Randall opinions? Um, maybe covertly. Maybe they're using burners, um, but I, I not not out in the open. Um, I just but see. I think the problem with Julius Randall is not Julius Randall. It's what he's been asked to do, right? Um, 
you know, I, I think, it, you know, like I, I remember I was and I wrote this when I wrote about the Julius Randle signing is it didn't seem like he was ready to be a number one option. Um, and he was asked to be a number one option. And the Knicks obviously thought that he'd be able to handle the load. But there were questions about him from his Pelicans days even to see how that would translate. It hasn't translated well. And that's not on Julius Randle. You take the contract and you take um, you take what you can get and then you, you know, like you try to make the best of it. But like as a team, you should be identifying the guys who are able to hold that weight. I'm 100% with you on and all of that, except where where I run into an issue as far as keeping him for next season is there's no world, I, I think, where he slots into his proper role and and well I think that there are a lot of players out there in the league that if they're playing above their weight class can still be if not helpful like um you know net neutral uh in terms of their impact I I think when there are some guys that are like you just said asked to be a number one through no fault of their own and they're actually better suited being like a three or a four they make they actively make others game you know it, life difficult for those around them and that's my own personal perception of randall i i'm do you agree or disagree with that i you know i kind of think it would be interesting like let's say the the knicks hire kenny atkinson right sure let's say for instance um and they go to a spread pick and roll system run a lot of pistol um and they put him as a bully ball five right like have him and mitchell robinson basically split the center position so okay put julius randall as the center for like 18 minutes a night i'm with you I think that would be interesting. I think he's at his best as a five. You run pick and rolls with him. You let him run a little bit pick and roll um, where he can either torment a big who can't stay with him or try to bully a, a, a guard who switches on to him and he drives on him, right? And so you ask him to do different things. I, I think he'd be more successful there. Like this year, he was just asked to post up a lot and he was asked uh, to do or given the opportunity to do a lot of isolations. And that's not in his best interest. That wasn't in the Knicks' best interest but if you you put him in a different position where he's cutting more, where he's doing more stuff in the pick and roll and like um, doing being asked to do less creation, you know, if he runs that pick and roll with Lamella Ball, for instance, uh, I think it would be interesting. I think that he would probably be more efficient. And I think a lot of the gripes that Knicks fans have with him um, wouldn't be as as loud next season, honestly. So, so it it's. The fact that I didn't even think of that as a feasible option for next season, not to get off on a, a tangent here, but like speaks to what you often tweet about and occasionally write about, which is that in a league where every other team seemingly is, you know, continuing to modernize and think of, you know, the way the, the place basketball is going, um, you know, and again, I, I hate to give him credit for this because I, it, it does get under my skin that he needles the Knicks, but Hollinger said he's like, they were trying to build the perfect basketball team for 1997. Like the idea of the Knicks leaning into small ball next season after we just saw a, a year where Marcus Morris is playing the three. Yeah. Like it, I just like, I, I, I listen, I'm fine. If it happens, you're not going to hear anybody more excited about it than me. I just, I, I would be. Go back to Leon Rose. If Leon Rose can set whatever dominoes in motion that that's the end result, that we start like really embracing modern trends, then he build a statue to the man outside MSG. Well, that's what I'm curious to see is like they have to pick a playing style and they actually have to then commit to it. You know, the thing about David Fisdale um, that I thought was interesting was that David Fisdale 
for all the things that you might not like about him, said he wanted to do two things, right? He wanted to play a swarming defense, yeah. and he wanted to get up and down. Yeah. And even this season, that was not the roster of players he was given. Um, he was not given a roster of players that could do that. Um, not that I'm here to defend like David Fizdale, but I, I found that interesting, that the rhetoric from top down never matched what was actually going on. Um, I don't disagree with that. And it makes me think of, like you talk about the swarming defense. Um, Mike Miller famously simplified the defense, which is why they got um, considerably better in that department. I'm almost wondering if Fizz thought like he like he was going to be here for a certain amount of time. And that's why he was kind of going for it big time with like a harder defense to play and whatnot. But I don't know. I'm just watering <laughs> the bridge at this point. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're nothing you're saying is wrong. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, has not been cohesion, um, for, well, not, not since Phil had the idea about the triangle, but I, I don't think we need to go back to, to those days. Um, bring back the triangle, do it. I mean, Mike Miller, Phil Jackson, triangle yeah. disciple. No one seemed to care then. <laughs> this listen, Mike Miller's, Mike Miller owes his career to the triangle offense. Uh, if you know, that, that was the one thing I, I found ironic when I wrote my Mike Miller story was that yeah. he changed his success at Texas State because he went to the triangle offense. I, look, I just have a plan. Just pick, pick, <laughs> pick a triangle, square, circle, trapezoid. I, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really just pick a pick a direction and go with it. Um, I, I lied. I do have one more question after we've gone off on a tangent. Um, I'm going to make you answer your own question to oh, Ian. Okay. Rank the Knicks B reporters in order of who you'd most like to be quarantined with the most to the least. Go. You're on the spot. Uh, oh, man. Most to the least. Uh, can I, like, pick the stragglers who cover the Knicks for one day? Um, sure. Pick out whatever you want. Can I choose to live alone? <laughs> no. You can tell him I said that. I would choose to live alone and self-quarantine. Um, that's the most responsible decision. Uh, uh just, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I generally like pretty much everyone in Nick's beat. There are times when we all kind of get tired of each other or tired of each other's shtick. Um, you know, I think that's when it comes to that. That's when it gets difficult. I, I find every, I find the interesting thing about every beat is like, um, it's like a family in some way. Cause you spend so much time together and you just hope you get grouped with the right people. Um, and I know that other beats are much more contentious than others. It seems like the Knicks beat of yesteryear was a lot more contentious from what I understand. Um, I think this one is now on, on, on the whole pretty uh, docile. I, I mean, look, for, to the extent that I've been around, you guys seem to get along famously. Um, you know, maybe I, maybe there's more beneath the surface that I don't see, but it, it all seems uh, quite quite cordial, I guess, is the word I would use. Yeah, we're not exactly like, you know, that... We're not exactly uh, Tolstoy's famous line, but, you know, we, we have our moments. <laughs> uh, perfect way to end uh, on, on Tolstoy. Um, Tolstoy and the Knicks, two things couldn't possibly have any more in common. Um, Vork, not that anyone out here uh, listening should should need this information said to them, but please tell the folks at home where they could find you. Uh, you can find me at theathletic.com. I cover the Knicks for the Athletic. I mean, we cover like every team in, in North America right now. So if you like the Knicks and you're listening and if you don't like the Knicks and you're listening 
And God bless you if you're listening to an hour's worth of Knicks talk and you don't like the Knicks. Um, go we, do you know. something else. If you're not a Knicks <laughs> fan, I'm I'm the host of the podcast. I'm telling you to go do something else. Anyway. If you like soccer, if you like the EPL, if you like football, like we cover that too. Uh, and so you can subscribe. Um, if you don't have a subscription right now, we're offering a 90-day free trial. So now's a pretty good time to, to get in. Just you can go to theathletic.com, pick a story, subscribe off of it. Um, yeah, check us out. It's a good time to get through this uh, self-quarantine. We're, we're still putting up stories pretty frequently. I think I'm writing like three, four times a week. I just had a story go up actually while the, while we were talking. So stuff is still going up every day. Yeah, I loved, um, there was some old Jordan stuff that was, I forget, maybe it was, was it DA who wrote something about Jordan a few weeks ago that I read it? Uh, or maybe it was like, yeah, there's just, there's always good stuff popping up. You never know when you're going to like, what's nice about the athletic, uh, I'm going to give you some, some free plug here, is like you have your... Like, let's say I don't feel like reading about the Knicks. No no offense to you. I love all your stuff. But let's say I don't feel like reading about the Knicks. I just go to the Athletics main page and, like, you guys have, like, your top stories um, that are – and they're all good. It's just, like, it's it's easy. I, I read more about, I think, our baseball coverage and our, like, uh, our football coverage than I do our NBA coverage. And that's not because of our NBA coverage. It's just, like, I find other things to meander to on that stuff than, uh, than I do anywhere else. And so you can just get lost with everything. Like, our – I'm a big Chelsea fan, so when it comes to the EPL, are you I get my stuff there? And so Look yeah, you. Just, that's the whole nice thing about it. we just bundle it all together for you. There you go. Well, listen, um, they're always having, like you said, it's a ninety uh, ninety days ninety days free right now. Ninety day free trial. Sign ninety, up now. Ninety day free trial. There's always like deals. I know we were running on this pod a, a promotion for you guys for a while. I'm sure we will again. Um, it's it's worth your it's worth your time. It's worth your money. Um, go go do that. Um, Mike, I can't thank you enough, man. You've given a, a lot more time than I expected. It, it is always appreciated very much. Ah, uh, for sure. Um, thanks for having me on. And, uh, I'm out there on Twitter. If you guys have any next questions, I don't know. I got nothing else to do. We'll talk. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon, Mike. Be well, man. All right. See you. Later.